Welcome to Fear and Greed Sunday Feature. I'm Michael Thompson and hello, Adam Lang. Hello, Michael. Adam, uh, in a lot of the country right now, it is quite hot. Uh, And uh, for that reason, and also the fact that it is summer and it's getting close to Christmas and it's the weekend and a million other reasons why, now, Adam, is a very good time to talk about beer. Excellent. One of my favourite topics. It's it's actually quite an unfair topic to talk to you, uh, to ask you to talk about because you're not really allowed to drink beer, are you? Well, gluten-free beer I can drink, being a celiac. But no, I can just look longingly at other beers and go from memory when I wasn't informed about my gluten intolerance and oh, had beer anyway. So there's quite a nostalgic element. Oh, yeah, really strong, like decades of it before I understood. Well, a decade of it before I understood well, I mean, this this today's interview then would would be quite bittersweet for you to uh, to enjoy, <laughs> like some beers. Yeah. Hmm. This interview comes from March last year, so March thirty first, twenty twenty two. But the topic is as relevant today as it was then. Paul Bowker from Brick Lane Brewing, so he's one of the co founders, and this is the brand or the company behind one of the brands that we probably all know called Heaps Normal, which is a zero alcohol beer. And there are other beverages that they've been able to manufacture but really build successful brands. And just its growth, low alcohol and no alcohol beverages have just grown from no alcohol gin to low alcohol beer, no alcohol beer, all the different options that perhaps we weren't used to in the last 10 or 20 years that they now brew and have made really successful brands from. So they've created this great range of products in the craft beer space in that booming market and managed to create a really successful business too. And of course, in this vein, you learn about why they started it, how they started it, things went well, things that didn't, but just how they've overcome a lot of challenges to get where they are. Yeah, it is a really interesting look at the business of beer. And as you say, it's, it's, it is quite a broad area now, isn't it? The fact that it's not beer is not what it used to be. Beer is a very different beast now, and and Paul goes into all of that and, and kind of talks about how the business itself is evolving. It's a fascinating chat. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. Head into any Dan Murphy's and you'll notice an increasing amount of shelf space being taken up by a new trend. The non-alcoholic drinks market is growing quickly with everything from alcohol-free gin to non- and low-alcohol beer taking off. One of the most popular brands is Heaps Normal, which is produced by Melbourne-based Brick Lane Brewing, one of Australia's most successful independent brewers. Paul Bowker is a co-founder and CEO of Brick Lane Brewing. Paul, welcome to Fear and Greed. Thanks, Sean. Great to be here. Now, up front, I know I mentioned Heaps Normal then. I've had Brick Lane Brewing. I really like your pale ale. Thanks, mate. That's uh, our One Love Pale Ale. That's, I guess, the first product we ever released and it's really become our hero product. So it's our our largest seller in market and something that's accessible to a lot of people. So it brings a lot of people into our brand, which is great. Good to hear. Okay. So tell me about Brick Lane. You brew your own beers, but also you produce product for other people as well. Yeah, we've got quite an unusual model down at Brick Lane. So We've really got three core parts of our business. One is to make our own brands, which is Brick Lane and Sidewinder, Sunsetter, Someday, a bit of a portfolio. The other part of our business that's emerging is hospitality. But relevant to your intro, I guess, talking about Heaps Normal, is we've got a substantial partner brewing business where we effectively open our facilities for other people to come in and, I guess, enjoy the benefit of what we've created to produce their own beers. 
Okay, you, you've spent quite a bit of money in developing the brewery in Melbourne. It's an interesting model because I'm not sure that I've heard others, certainly winemakers do it, use share facilities, but I'm not sure that I've heard brewers do it. Yeah, there's pockets of it around, Sean. So what tends to happen, if you look at the brewing industry itself, it's it's very capital intensive. Yep. And you can either deploy a small amount of capital and build a effectively a brew pub, which is fantastic, and you know, 600 odd independent breweries in Australia and the vast majority are, are centred around a brew pub. As you grow, however, you continue to need to grow that capacity and that becomes very difficult for a lot of people. So what has happened in the past is as breweries grow, they either deploy additional capital or they seek out another brewer who has spare capacity or they end up selling. Um, And that usually means selling to one of the majors. We came into the market and decided to solve a problem that existed, which was the ability for both growing independent breweries, but also large retailers, for example, who didn't have a home to brew their beers. We wanted to create that. And so we've put north of $50 million into our brewery to create that, effectively that home of brewing in Australia that's accessible to a wide variety of breweries. Okay. So firstly, when you're creating a beer, how do you get cut through in the market? It is such a competitive marketplace. I've told this story before. About 10 years ago, a guy I worked with decided to try a different beer every day. 365 beers in the country. He really struggled to actually find 365 beers in the country. Uh, You know, he was traveling to actually find them. Now though, I saw a number, and I'm going to get it totally wrong here, Paul, but it was like 600 or something. It just seems this proliferation of craft beers. Yeah, there's a lot. So there's 600 odd independent breweries and each of those breweries at any point in time may have, you know, 10 or 20 different varieties. Uh, And then there's the international. So Kieran, through their ownership of Lion, and Asahi, through their ownership of CUB, control north of 80% of the beer market as well. And within their portfolios, they have a huge diversity of brands. So you're right, getting cut through is not easy. However, there are ways to do it. Clearly, that's what we think. Otherwise, we wouldn't have entered the market in the way we did. But the way to get cut through, I mean, really, you know, for a growing or independent brewery or a a new brewery that may be owned by a major is to really have a a story around the brand that resonates with the consumer. That's fundamental. People have choice. So they want to drink or eat or drive or whatever it may be with a brand that has relevance to them. The other key thing is obviously to have a high quality product, to be delivering your product into a market that has growth. And I'm sure we'll get onto non-alc, but that's a good example of that. And the other thing is really to get scale these days. You need to be able to produce a beer that is consistent in quality, is of quality, has distribution, warehousing, price points, all those things nailed down. So it's a, it is a really, really tough sector. I want to get on to non-alcohol beers, but just before I do, that last point you made, manufacturing exactly the same product every time, how hard is that? It's incredibly difficult. Now, there's, there's different parts of, of the market and, you know, you mentioned wine before. Wine celebrates, to a large extent, diversity, um, vintage variation, yeah. site variation. Yep. Beer is not the same thing. When people walk into a, a bar, a pub, a restaurant, a bottle shop and open or have one of the beers that they drink poured, they expect it to be the same every time. Now, to do that, there's a huge amount of, I guess, technology that goes into the process of creating beer but it also derives from natural products, so from malt, yeast, hops, and being agricultural products, they vary batch to batch as well. So 
to be able to dial all those things in and produce an end product that's the same every time is difficult. And, and that's what the consumer expects. And certainly once you're international retail, they expect you to deliver the same product every time. And it's incredibly important. Stay with me, Paul. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Paul Balco, co-founder and CEO of Brick Lane Brewing. Okay, non-alcoholic beers, there's a lot more of them around, or at least there's a lot more shelf space given to them. What's happening in that market? The non-alc is a really interesting space. And for some people, it's sort of difficult to wrap your mind around. For us, it's just a completely natural evolution of, I guess, the broader trend in society to a better for you environment, but also people like choice and historically in beer there's not been a great deal of choice outside of classic beers we saw the emergence of craft beer which gave people a huge amount of choice and now we're seeing people looking to increase the occasions in which they can be social and drink a beer whether alcohol or not be able to drink different varieties of beers different flavors of beer but also be able to drink beer and carry on with their daily life and activities and these are the things that non-alcoholic beer is playing to i think one of the key things when we look at the rise of non-alcoholic beer, it is coming off a small base. However, to put some numbers in context, beer in Australia generates about $8 billion a year and the non-alc sector globally in beer is over $10 billion. So it is a huge sector. It's growing rapidly and it's one that Brick Lane in particular has, I guess, talking back to the technology, has a technology to produce these beers of a level of quality and safety time after time, which is why we've become the leader in the space. I'm ashamed to say I've never had a non-alcoholic beer. I will have one after this conversation, Paul. Is it very similar to the full-strength beer? Because certainly mid-strength and low-alcohol beer, there is a taste difference. Yeah, they're getting they're, they're getting better and better. And, and in fact, mid-strength beer, there's mid-strength beers out there now that are absolutely packed with flavour. And there's a slight aside, but to, I guess, try and show the market how much flavour you could pack in with reducing the alcohol. We released a 1.1% beer about six months ago, which is Sidewinder Hazy Pale, and and that's nationally available in Dan's. But that has showed the consumer market that you don't necessarily need alcohol to carry flavour. There's other ways of doing it. Now, when you get down to the the zero space, and by zero I mean 0.5 or less because that classifies as food, there are tricks you can play with your brewing and, you know, judicious use of hops, use of instead of malt, different materials in there that fill out the palate. And I recommend you definitely jump in and try a couple. Heaps and All that you mentioned is a fantastic beer. Um, our Sidewinder beers are fantastic. And even in the, the mainstream sector, things like Heineken, they're a very good approximation of the full strength version. So it's a really interesting sector to start to explore if you haven't. The flavoured beer sector always been huge in America, definitely in the US. It doesn't seem to have taken off here, though I have noticed in bottle shops more and more flavoured beers. Yeah, and again, this is um, what's happening in the market across alcohol really is a blurring of categories. So beer is not beer necessarily anymore. People still drink classic beer. It's still a big part of the market. However, with the rise of things like uh, hard seltzers, fruit beers, uh, lots of people are now drinking, for example, canned cocktails, rosé, spritzer. All these categories have significant overlap and they're starting to merge in a way. And with the flavoured beers, for example, and we make one under a range called Someday, and we add fruit effectively to a really light, fresh-tasting beer, and we produce something that has overtones of beer but is fruit-dominant as well. And it just opens up the category to a number of people that may have been drinking 
RTD, spritzers, Sav Blanc, Rosé. And yep. the whole idea is to bring more and more people into the beer category, which, you know, is a very natural, delicious product and one that Australia has long been a leader in. Okay. Now, we talk, you mentioned earlier on the idea of consolidation. Previously, we seem to have seen the big guys taking out the smaller guys, Stone and Wood not being such a small guy, $500 million purchased by line, but that was a good example last year. I was reading you in the Financial Review talking about the next stage of consolidation being about smaller players grouping together rather than CUB or line buying out the craft players. I mean, there's a few interesting things uh, happening in the sector. The rise of I guess the, the craft breweries, and that's a broad term, and we won't get into the definitions of it because it's, it's a hot topic. However, the rise of breweries such as, if you look at the recent ones, um, Four Pines, Bolter, Pirate Life, Feral, Mountain Goat, Green Beacon, all these breweries captured the public attention in some way. The, the challenge that they all faced, uh, or most of them faced, is that you reach a certain point, which may be one, two, three, four million litres, where the next wave is really a substantial deployment of CapEx, high-level corporate management expertise to take on, I guess, potentially large equity partners or debt partners, and then the expertise to build out a production-scale brewery. Now, the larger two breweries, which is effectively what it is in Australia, have come in and supported these businesses by effectively buying them, bringing them into their network and handling that next wave of growth for them. What there hasn't been to date is a real other option. And at Brick Lane, for example, we've got a very substantial brewery that is eminently scalable and has one of the lowest costs of production or probably the lowest cost of production outside of the majors, uh, including Coopers. Coopers are bigger than us, but I put them in as a major. And I think from our perspective, when we look at where the market can go, there's no reason why some of these breweries can't continue to exist in another format rather than falling in line to the Asahi or Kieran portfolio. And whether it's through Brick Lane or through someone else, I think there's a genuine opportunity and a a consumer and a customer appetite to have a real challenger to the major brands. And that's certainly a role that we see Brick Lane playing. Just one final question, food costs and ingredient costs. Are you worried about that given what's going on with grain prices, et cetera, out of Europe? Simple answer is yes. So grain is one component, water, and we know the importance of conserving water is becoming more and more important. Aluminium prices, glass prices, CO2, you know, for example, sort of uh, sometimes not recognised, but all these costs are increasing significantly. And it is a real challenge for the industry in how we manage these costs and keep our engagement with the consumers when they have a lot of different alternatives is from our perspective, the way that we've approached that is really going back to the start of the business, which was to build a brewery of scale. So we produce 24 hours a day, six days a week. We have brewing capacity for 40 odd million litres. And this gives us substantial, I guess, economies of scale in our procurement and supply chain. The other thing that is really important now is to have an incredibly efficient brewery. It's no longer really feasible apart from hyper-local breweries uh, that sell over their own bar to be able to produce beers without being able to compete broadly in terms of price with the larger independents and the the major international breweries. So it it will be a challenge and I think businesses will need to adapt their production and logistics around that and hopefully some of the more emerging breweries do start to look at some synergies, whether it's through 
equity tie-ups, other sort of relationships to manage some of these increasing costs. Paul, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. Thanks, Sean. That was Paul Balker, co-founder and CEO of Brick Lane Brewing. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join me every morning for the full Fear and Greed podcast with all the business news you need to know. I'm Sean Elmer. Enjoy your day.